You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, we are week two into our seven-week series called, this week, uh, this, the sermon's called The Rich Fool. The Rich Fool. Don't want to be that guy. We said last week, and if you didn't watch last week's sermon, you, you will want to go back and check that out. And you want to pay attention to our midweek podcast. If you happen to have a smartphone and you like to listen to podcasts, um, we're going to give you more details in our podcast than what we can give here Sunday morning. So great conversation uh, because... Logan was uh, recovering from surgery. We had Brent Billings from the Moscow Real Life and the Bama podcast, part of our podcast, and he is fantastic. He is an avid listener of uh, all of our podcasts, our sermons, and our uh, footnotes podcast, and just a great friend, and, and I use him as a sounding board often. Logan does as well. And so we really appreciate him jumping in and, and helping us out this weekend. And he had a lot of great questions. He wanted to know how to say Jennifer's name. And, uh, and then the classic moment, you got to listen to this, because Jennifer, because she was hearing an echo in her headset, so we could get the audio right, we were using headsets, and it was a little, little wonky what we had to do there, but it worked out really great except for when Jennifer was speaking, she was hearing herself. So she starts to spell up in her ear and she's getting confused because she's hearing her, herself in her ear. And I've, I've been there. It's really f- frustrating, but it was really funny to watch. <laughs> Cause she's like, J E N I, um, <laughs> and I'm like, you can't tell where all those eyes are. Can you? So we said that to understand these parables, there's some tools that we need to pay attention to. And uh, we talked about this quite a bit last week, but we need to pay attention to context. We need to pay attention to language because words can change over a couple thousand years or, or just culturally, right? My generation would say rad. Your generation says sicky narnar, right? Um, and if, if someone doesn't define Sikki Narnar to me, I have no idea what that means. I'm sure some people over on the right here are going, what is he saying? It, um, you can look it up on Google. It'll tell you. Uh, and so we need to pay attention to idioms and figures of speech. We also need to pay attention to different rabbinical teaching styles that Jesus employs. And and probably within the last 10 years, the Christian church in America has started to pay more attention to the rabbinical teaching styles and just Jesus as a rabbi and how he was using uh, tools within, within his culture's context. And if we understand those tools, it gives us a, a greater understanding of what he's trying to communicate. And so there's this acronym called PARDES. It's actually... Um, an acronym for four words, Pashat, Ramez, Drosh, and Sod. Pashat, 
Peshat is that basic reading that you and I have always done. We read the parable and we go, oh, he's talking about a rich fool. Got it. But also within the, within the parable is a remez, is a hint. And the hint connects this story to some other passage in the Old Testament, sometimes many passages, sometimes a couple stories, sometimes a story and a prophet. So we need to pay attention to those connections because it doesn't make a square house an oblong house, but it adds depth and color and detail that we would miss otherwise. And so that's the remez and then the drosh is, is the is that mystery that we have to kind of unfold. Um, there's definitions within your bulletin that give you greater insight into these, and we talked about this a lot in this last week's podcast, so I invite you to listen to that if you so choose. But a question I want us to wrestle with as we move into this week's parable is how would you define your life's purpose. Have you thought about that? When you get done, when you step off this earth and they make a gravestone and they're like, here lies Rob and this is what he did. Is your life purpose, the thing that you're really passionate about, the thing that God put inside of you is that going to be on display well enough for people to see? And if we don't know it, if we don't know what our own purpose is, how is anybody else going to know what our purpose was, right? So my life purpose has at least these three elements in it. I need to be developing leaders. I need to be developing new possibilities. And I need to be advancing God's kingdom, which might tell you why I happen to be a pastor at a church plant right? Got to develop leaders, new possibilities, and advancing God's kingdom, which tells you why I was so uh, in the military. I got to live out two of these really, really, really well. I, I got to develop leaders, and I got to develop new possibilities. I got to create things. I got to create processes and influence change. And, and I really enjoyed that, but I always knew there was something missing. And that piece of advancing God's kingdom took a back burner. And so whatever work I do, my life purpose needs to play out in, in, in what I do. Here's a second question to go along with that first question. If you audited your checkbook, your calendar, and your conversations, what would they say about your life's purpose? Could, could we tell? Can we tell by the way you spend your money that you're passionate about whatever you're passionate about? I have a tendency to buy books that help me, help me grow as a leader so I can invest in other leaders. I have a tendency to buy books about entrepreneurship. I look into that. I do a lot of study and I buy books when it comes to understanding God's kingdom. And how do I understand Jesus' words? Like I spend money on that. And I spend time on those things. 
and hopefully they're part of my conversations. There used to be a sign uh, back in Coeur d'Alene that says, what is on your heart will soon be on your lips. What is on your heart will soon be on your lips. What we value will leak into our conversations. Except for sometimes we have this tendency to kind of get distracted by something that's not really that important to us, but somehow we inadvertently start spending a bunch of money on it. Or we start inadvertently spending a bunch of time on it. Or we start inadvertently spending a bunch of conversation on it. That sign, by the way, that was for a donut shop. And uh, I just planted a seed in your mind. And if some of you don't go buy donuts on your way home today, I'll be disappointed. What is on your heart will soon be on your lips. That's a fantastic slogan for a donut shop. I'll tell you what. Logan uses this idea of, of evaluating, auditing your calendar when he works with someone to help determine what their rule of life is and, and, and are they actually living that out. He'll actually have them map out their calendar every hour of every day to say, this is when I sleep and this is when I work and this is when I go to the gym. Like for my wife and I, part of our purpose statement is that we're going to invest in our physical health because we are at the gym quite a bit. We value that. We spend money on that. My wife values it more than I do, so she pays for personal training. And then I leech off of what she learns. It's a good... So these are just a couple questions to wrestle with as we move into today's parable. What is your life's purpose? And what does your checkbook, your calendar, and your conversations say about your life's purpose? So the parable is found in Luke 12, and let's jump in, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now, I'll tell you that this sentence, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you, is connected to another sentence in the Old Testament. We will talk about that in footnotes. It's interesting, and I don't know what to do with it. But we'll talk about that. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus has a crowd around him, and someone in the crowd asks him a question, Asked him to weigh in on this dispute between two brothers. And then verse 16 says, And he told them a parable. So he's talking to the crowd, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, when we just listen to the story, you know, question that you may wrestle with or may, may come up with is, is it wrong to be rich? Is that what Jesus is trying to tell us in the story? Is it wrong for me to save for retirement, for me to have a 401k? Is that wrong? Well, I said that we would talk about uh, context, a couple things contextually. First and foremost, Jesus is talking to the crowd. He's talking to the larger community. So that's important for us to note. Um, last week at our care group, Gordon mentioned that he looked at, he asked the question, who's Jesus speaking to? Or why did this parable come out in the first place, last week's parable? And so he, he looked at the chapter before to find out. And it, it added some light to the conversation of why we were even hearing this parable in the first place. And that was Tov Meod, my friend, Tov Meod. So um, very good for you non-Hebrew speakers like me. But um, that, that's part of the context. And then part of the context is in that culture, rabbis regularly were asked to weigh in to give a legal proclamation when it came to disputes, much more so than pastors. Pastors almost never get asked to weigh in between two brothers on, on something like this at this level. I mean, it's, it's not totally unheard of, but way, way more socially acceptable at that time. We're not even told that Jesus knows these two guys, and yet he's asked as a rabbi to weigh in on this conversation. Let's talk about language here for a second. Second, The word fool. We can look at the Greek and connect the Greek in the New Testament and see where it's used. That same Greek word is used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament that they would have read at that time and have an idea of what the Hebrew word is that Jesus would have been using in this conversation. And the word is nabal, which means fool. The root of the word means to wilt or to fall away or to fail or to faint. And figuratively, it means foolish. So it means, it means someone that is never going to fully accomplish what they intend to do. But this word is connected to Psalms 14.1. The psalmist says, The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. And so it seems like Jesus is saying that the real issue of this guy in this parable that he's sharing is this guy views that there is no God. And I think, I think we could rightly say that when, 
when after he recognizes everything that he has, he says, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He is exalting who for this huge harvest. He's exalting himself. Soul. Great job, soul. That word Nabal is also connected to a story found in 1 Samuel 25 where uh, a man and his wife uh, interact with, with David and, and Nabal is a landowner, he's, he's a sheep herder, and David sends some men to him to uh, ask for, for a donation because they've been protecting his land, uh, just living in an area, they've been a, been a good neighbor, and, uh, and he sends them away. And Abigail rushes to David with a, with a large offering of, of goods and says, Nabal lives up to his name. He's a fool. So, so that's, that's a look at some language within this parable. But let's look at some remezes. And fool would be a remez because it's, it's connected. It's, it's a hint that's connected this parable to the Old Testament, in this case, Psalms and 1 Samuel 25. There's also the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry. You maybe have heard that phrase before. And it could be found in Ecclesiastes 9. And we're going we're gonna to dive into that a little bit more in uh, footnotes. Sometimes when I see a hint and I see, it, I see a story connected to the Old Testament, sometimes it's like there's an obvious implication there and just jumps out at me. Other times I have to wrestle with it a little bit more, and this is one of those that I'll probably have to wrestle with some more. But I think there's another remez. I think there's another hint. Maybe you could think of an Old Testament story where there's a plentiful crop and someone has to store up a large amount of grain. It might take us to a story found in Genesis 41 with Joseph starting out in prison. Now, the backdrop of that story is that Pharaoh has a series of dreams, and he goes to his wise men to say, hey, tell me about my dream or off with the head or however he liked to kill people back then. I don't know. Uh, tell me my dream and discern it for me. And, and, uh, and they can't do it. And the cupbearer says, wait a minute. I know a guy that told me about my dream and it totally worked out exactly as he said. And you should probably take a listen to him. And so Pharaoh sends for Joseph. And Pharaoh says, I want you to interpret my dream for me. And Joseph starts out by saying, it is not me. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. 
So here's a man that's been in prison, in prison for years, falsely accused, excels wherever he goes, betrayed by his brothers in a foreign land, and he's still, at the heart of him, wants to honor God with his life. And what's on your heart will soon be on your lips. He says, I don't deserve the glory for what I'm about to do. God deserves the glory for, for what I'm about to do. Then jumping down to verse 33, Joseph says, Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and a wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Can you see how these stories are connected? Can you see how Jesus is connecting his story to this story to add color, to add depth to the parable that he's teaching so that you and I can know how to live for the kingdom. In one story, Jesus talks about a fool. In the Genesis story, we're told to select a wise man, and that wise man will become Joseph, right? In both stories, we're told about a plentiful crop. In both stories, we're told that they're going to, you're going to need to store things up. But in Jesus' parable, the guy stores it up for who knows whom, right? God says, we're, we're not even sure who's going to get to use this. We, who knows who's even going to benefit from this plentiful, like it maybe just go to waste. Apparently there was no one to even inherit this. It wasn't even being stored up for the family. It was just being stored up. And in the Genesis story, Things were being stored up according to God's purpose, according to God's design, according to God's plan, so that people will be saved. So that people won't have to starve. I don't think it's wrong to be rich. I don't think it's wrong to store grain. Or to have a 401k or to have a retirement. Or to have nice things. But are you rich towards God? And if you are, does your, does your checkbook, does your calendar, do your conversations reveal that? Jesus goes on and in verse 22, he turns from the crowd and he just focuses in on his disciples. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, or about, nor your body, or what you'll put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they neither 
have storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value value of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. We hear the name Solomon, and, and, and give me a head nod if I'm right on this, but we picture a pretty a wise guy, right? A, a smart guy, maybe a guy to pattern our lives after. Is that, is that what we hear when we hear Solomon? I'm not so sure that's how the Hebrew hearers heard this. We'll talk about that in footnotes. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we use the things that God provided us, when we use those things for his kingdom, we have treasure in heaven. You know, sometimes I believe we sense God calling us to something. And this connects back to last week's story about the good eye and the evil eye because, because sometimes when God, when I, when I clearly know that God's calling me to something, I look at the world around me and go, God, there's too many problems. There's too many roadblocks. There's too many things in the way. I, I can't, how do I get past those things? And Jesus says, we can't allow anxiety to drive the conversation for us as Christians. Otherwise, we end up going to Costco and buying three packs of toilet paper because there's a pandemic. Because we're afraid. Because we're not sure if we'll have enough for tomorrow. We would share what we had today if we were confident that we could have, that we'll be okay tomorrow. And Jesus says, you need to trust that. You need to trust that when God calls you to do something, and God's clearly calling Joseph in, in this Genesis story to do something, right? And he, and he responds, and it's having that good eye, that, that eye that says, my God can meet every need. He can meet every need that I've got. I don't have to hang on to things so tightly. I don't have to hang on to them so tightly. What does your checkbook, your calendar, and your conversation say about which kingdom you're living for? 
I think we should separate those out because I think if we're honest, we're probably good in two of those areas, but not the third. Typically, when I sit down and I evaluate in situations like this, I'll find like, oh yeah, my check, my calendar are great. My conversations, man, whoo, <laughs> we got some problems there. Like if you take an honest evaluation, what do each of those areas say about which kingdom you're living for? And what do they say what you believe to be true about your God? Because I think we all have two theologies. We have one theology that we had put down on paper. Yep, omniscient, omnipotent, omni-whatever, <laughs> all those O words. Like he's a big, powerful God. But the way I live is like, maybe he's not so big. Or maybe he's not so powerful. Maybe he's not so ever-present. Maybe he's not here with me right here, right now. And I think for all of us, we're trying to get this broken theology to match our, what we'd put on paper, if we're honest. If we'd be transparent enough to say, yeah, I live this way, even though I believe this way, and I'm trying to figure this out, this divide. I'm trying to make this divide smaller and smaller and smaller until we got a an eclipse. What does your checkbook, your calendar, your conversation say about what you believe? And I'm talking about the way you actually live out what you believe about your Heavenly Father. What does it say about your eye? Do you have a good eye? Do you see possibilities? Do you see solutions to the problems? Or do you have an evil eye? where certain people are out, certain people I just can never talk to, certain people are beyond redemption, certain problems too big for us to resolve, just don't even get started, let's just give up, it's hopeless. What does your checkbook, your calendar, and conversation say about your eye? Because the implication is this, Christ invites you to wisely use what you have been given to benefit his kingdom. He invites you to wisely use what you've been given to benefit his kingdom. And there's two ways that at Mission Ridge that we really focus in on to try to live this out. Number one, we try to live out the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And as Brent said in the podcast this week, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's hard for me to look at a person in a loving way because of their actions, because of the words that they've said, because of history. It's hard to get beyond that history. And it challenges me. But we got to live out the great commandment. We also have to live out the great commission. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, 
even to the end of the age. And I love that he says he's with us always. Which connects right back to what he says in Luke. Your father knows what you, that you need them. Your father knows what you need because he's, he's engaging in your world. He's, Jesus has never left us. He's interceding for us. He's part of our lives. He's intimately acquainted with all of our ways. He's got our hairs on our head numbered. For some of us, that's getting easier and easier to track. But this is why we live out this mission statement of raising biblical disciples who develop transparent relationships, sacrifice for others, and heal divisions. We can't have transparent relationships, we can't sacrifice for others, and we can't heal divisions if we're not going to love each other, if we're not going to love our neighbors ourselves as a way of displaying how great of a God we serve. And we're not going to make biblical disciples if we're unwilling to go, if we're unwilling to teach, if we're unwilling to figure out what our part is. What is God calling me to do to move his kingdom forward? Because Jesus over and over and over again is going to say that his kingdom deserves priority. Last week, he said, you can't serve two masters. You can be devoted to one, or you can despise the other. You can't serve God's kingdom in your own kingdom. And this week he says, you can't say that you're rich towards God and have God call you a fool. And so the question this week is, how rich are we going to be towards God? Christ invites you to wisely use what you've been given to benefit his kingdom. Here's some next steps. Number one, determine what your purpose statement is. What is going to define your life? What are you going to be about? What's going to be the driving passion of who you are? What's your What's your purpose statement? And if you, and if you want help journeying through that, we can, we can help you do that. That's what we're here for. When you are all done and you're face-to-face with your creator, will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will he say, you fool? Because... That's a weighty question. That's a weighty question. Determine your purpose statement. Secondly, evaluate how you've been budgeting your checkbook, your calendar, and your conversations. There's probably room for adjustment in one of those three areas. For any of us. I squirrel all the time. Squirrel. What was that? Up? Is that the name of the movie? 
for the dog. Dog's paying attention, and all of a sudden, squirrel. So easy for me to get distracted. And then one of these areas gets out of balance. Evaluate how you've been budgeting your checkbook, your calendar, your conversations. And then align your priorities with your purpose statement. Put your time and energy and creativity, your resources into the things that God has placed inside of you. And by the way, I don't think your purpose statement should look anything like mine unless you were created by God to be like me. And if he did, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that would be so painful for you. I want to see God's kingdom lived out through each of us distinctly because we are so enamored with who God created us to be that we just, we got to live that out. And that passion just flows out of us. I want you to live fully for who God created you to be. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. God designed you to be tov mayod. I just want you to live that out. It will be redemptive. Anxiety and fear will tell you you can't do it. Too many problems. An evil eye will say there's all these roadblocks. Everything's in the way. Just let God's voice be the great voice in our lives for how we're going to live and let's enjoy him as we do it. Christ invites you to wisely use what you've been given to benefit his kingdom. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.